You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video for the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. O Master who loves mankind, illuminate our hearts with the pure light of your divine knowledge and open the eyes of our mind to understand the teachings of your holy scriptures. Instill in us also the fear of your blessed commandments that we may overcome all carnal desires, entering upon a spiritual life and understanding and acting in all things according to your holy will. For you are the enlightenment of our souls and bodies, O Christ God, and do we give glory together with your eternal Father and your all holy, gracious, and life being spirit, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to all of our participants. Annie Mitchell. Good to see you, Father Hezekiah. Looking good today. Oh, yeah. I put on my super trad uh, vest. Cool. You know. Yeah. My son's been telling me I got to be more traditional. My son thinks I'm a liberal. You know, and I'm like, son. So, so I'm doing this for he Luciano. He must not so join much of uh, the ICC events, huh? No. <laughs> you know, not around yeah. for pre-class very often. Right. So here we are, fourth Sunday of Advent. Fourth Sunday of Advent. It is real. We're right here on the doorstep of the Nativity of Christ of Christmas, and uh, the readings are all about it. You know. So let's mm -hmm. jump in here. Give us our text here, Annie. Yeah, okay. So for the fourth Sunday of Advent this weekend, the first reading is Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 14. The responsorial psalm is taken from Psalm 24. Our gospel is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 24. And the epistle is Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through seven and we're back in isaiah again yeah well i mean he is the prophet of advent is he not he is he is isaiah seven isaiah chapter seven we've been doing a little bit of work in isaiah last couple of weeks but uh but um yeah here we are a very famous chapter and of course uh you're gonna see why it is that we're reading this text on sunday before christmas isaiah seven beginning with verse 10 let's go ahead annie all right. The Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. Let it be deep as the netherworld or high as the sky. But Ahaz answered, I will not ask. I will not tempt the Lord. Then Isaiah said, Listen, O house of David, is it not enough for you to weary people? Must you also weary my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you this sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. Short and sweet. Okay. Very nice. Very Christmassy. Very Christmas. <laughs> yes. I love how it, it's like, you know, Isaiah sounds so annoyed. He seems so annoyed. And then you get this like incredible prophecy, yes. famous prophecy. Anyway. Yes. Um, well, let's start at the beginning here. Who is Ahaz? Uh, well, you know, I'm going to have to kind of, I think um, probably my comments here in your first question, because I knew you were going to ask that, because you always ask that, uh, are going to probably tell you more than you wanted to know, and will answer any other questions you might have about this text, because you actually mentioned something very important that Isaiah sounds uh, annoyed, right? Yeah, then Isaiah that said, Ahaz would say, no, I won't tempt the Lord. Yeah. I mean, Ahaz is a pretty pious guy, right? I mean, he is not one to put the Lord to the test. So he's pretty pious. But then I, the prophet Isaiah seems to reject his piety. He says, listen, O house of David, is it not enough for you to weary? First of all, what's the house of David? The house of David is the house of Judah, right? 
which mm -hmm. is the kingly line, which is right. You know that yeah. I just want to make sure we're clear about that for those sure. that have participated in our in our swords and serpents series. This is very evident. It's the house of David, which is the house of Jesse, which is the house of Obed, which goes back to the house of Melchizedek, right? The house mm -hmm. of Noah, the house of Seth, the house, the house of, of Adam, Adam, the house yeah. of God. Yes, God. this yeah. is the kingly throne and it's being spoken of. And uh, why is it, is it not enough for you to weary the people? Must you also weary God? Okay, so what's going on? You got to stop for a second, because to be honest with you, most people are going to be at mass this Sunday and they're going to hear this reading and they're going to be like, yes, Emmanuel, the baby <laughs> Jesus. And they'll yeah. totally forget about the first part of this, this, this text, which is this strange thing in which Ahaz is pious and Isaiah rejects his piety. Well, the fact is Ahaz isn't pious and Isaiah does reject his piety because it's not piety at all. It's, it's absolutely not piety. And the only reason you know that is not because of your little snippet of your reading. It's because you know the story of Ahaz. The first thing you got to remember is Ahaz a good guy or not, right? You should kind of know your kings. And the kings are super easy to know, right? All the list in the genealogy, which we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, all the list of the kings of Israel, there's only a couple decent guys. One of them, of course, is Ahaz's son, King Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Uh, the yeah? saintly king, yeah. Without sin, by the way. Yeah, he was a sinless king. No, he's, he's, <laughs> it's indicated that him and Josiah, his grandson, are very holy men. Anyways, we don't need to get into that, but there's only a couple of guys, Josiah, Hezekiah, pretty much that's about it. Okay. <laughs> the rest of them are a bunch of bums, except maybe you say David and Solomon. David is uh, one of the holy kings because even though he did fall into sin many times with you know Bathsheba and so forth, he still ends up repenting and same with Solomon there seems to be and so this both David and Solomon are considered uh, holy prophets and saints of the church as well as Hezekiah and Josiah and some might be like King David and King Solomon they're not saints of the church and I say yes they yes, yes they are to be a saint does not mean to be immaculately conceived and live a sinless life it means that you that you lived a, a holy enough life or at least at certain points that you died in the grace of god and went to heaven yeah so a saint isn't isn't a saint because the church says is or doesn't become a saint after he dies a saint is one who lives a saintly life and there's indications that both david and solomon did live saintly lives even though they also struggled in many ways and so ahaz is in the long list right the wide road to perdition the guy's a the guy's bad news and so what's, what's going on in this conversation? You, know, you can only understand it if you get the historical context. So remember, principle, SGR people, Sunday Gospel Reflection people, here's your principle, that the life of the prophet has to be contextualized in the historical books. And so where does Isaiah fit into the story? Well, you know, because we've been in this last couple of weeks, you just go back to the first few verses of Isaiah, in which it says he lived during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's when Isaiah is living and prophesying. Well, to get the story, you got to go back to Second Kings. So all the time your prophets are going to be put into the context of those kings like you just mentioned, those mm -hmm. guys in the in the first chapter, verse one. Then we go back to Second Kings, in which these guys are living in this particular king. Ahaz comes out here in Second Kings. I'm sorry, I turned to First Kings chapter 16. Okay, 2 Kings chapter 16. Okay, in the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 year olds when he, years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did, do, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. Now his father is his great, 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 great grandfather, right? Yeah. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering. <laughs> according to the abominable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. 
And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Wow. He then a lot of sacrifice. Mm, the, <laughs> so he was a pious guy, but he was pious to the wrong people. <laughs> then, re, then reason king of Syria and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel. Now stop for a second. We just ran into this guy a few verses ago. Remember always, just as the prophet is contextualized, we go in the first chapter, first verse to tell you what kings he lived his life, you know, lived during. So in a similar way, uh, the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel, we've talked about this before, those are new to us. This is post-schism, right? After the son of Solomon, because of how, what, how he acted, broke the kingdom apart. Judah remains in the south, the northern 10 tribes in the north with their own throne, their own king. And Judah and the sons of David remain in the south, isolated. Then when new kings come to the throne, they're always referred to in the life of the other kings. So they're talking about when the king of Israel comes to the throne, they're going to say, that's the northern ten tribes. Then they're going to say, during this time of the king of Judah. And so the king of Judah now is told in the context of the life of the king of Israel, the northern ten tribes. Okay, And so here he is. Verse five, then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, king, or son of Ramalia, king of Israel, came up to wage war on Jerusalem. They besieged it. So, oh, now we got a little bit more information that the northern ten tribes are in cahoots now with the pagans north of them in Syria, right? And at that time, the king of Edom recovered. Eloth for Edom and drove the, the, the men of Judah from Eloth and, and the Edomites came to Eloth where they dwell to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to this guy, Tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria. Oh, now we got another one, right? Now we've got, the, the, we got Judah, Judah in the south, we got Israel in the north, we got Syria north of them, and then we got Assyria northeast of there. Oh, wow. And you got Syria and nor the northern ten tribes in cahoots, and they're going to come up and come down and attack the throne city of Judah, try to kill them. So now all of a sudden, Judah, Ahaz, makes a covenant with Assyria. Now, good idea or bad idea, Annie? I'm guessing a bad idea. Don't make covenants with the pagans yeah not a good idea right you don't go and hold ecumenical meetings with <laughs> you know the worshipers of baal and you know and um it's not Takamama gonna go well. and you name it not a good idea so i'm sorry you want to jump in no 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 okay Continue. so ahaz sent messengers to this guy king of assyria saying i am your servant and your son, holy Nikes, the son of David, who is supposed to be the son of God, 2 Samuel 7, is getting in real close, you know, with this, wow. with this pagan guy. Okay. Verse 10. When King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet the king of Assyria, he saw the altar there that was at Damascus pious king ahaz oh boy see he went to mass no he didn't he didn't, he didn't go to mass no yeah okay uh and and uh and uh saw the altar there that was at damascus and king ahaz sent to uriah the priest a model of the altar and its pattern exact in all its details and uriah the priest built the altar in accordance with the that the king of ahaz had sent from damascus so uriah the priest made it before the ahaz arrived from damascus to come down to verse 14 and the bronze altar which was before the lord ahaz removed from the front of the house and verse 17 and king ahaz cut off the frames of the stands and removed the laver from them and he took down the sea from uh, from off the bronze oxen that were under it this is all the description of what's at the temple in jerusalem he basically he takes he takes apart the the the, the things of of god and he builds the things to the false gods and that's what he sacrifices his son and so forth like that now you need to know any more about yes the place is a total disaster so let's go back now do you want to have any more questions about this guy Annie? like yeah, you have why is more... the lord even willing to talk to him like i mean honestly you have 
you have one more um you have one more question though for me and that is actually before we turn from second kings you have to ask this question and you're not you're not going to ask him i'm going to ask it for you and that is well what happens to ahaz well ahaz ends up having a son and this is critical to our text in isaiah chapter 18 verse 1 in the third year of hoshea son of elah king of israel hezekiah the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Now, now look, he was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. He is in verse 3, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Thank you, King Hezekiah, the saint. Okay. Amazing now, that he came from such a horrendous father. I guess there's yeah. hope for our kids after all. <laughs> I like that. That's pretty good. Yes, there, we hope that there are hope for, well, there are probably hope for your kids. I don't know about my kids. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, Isaiah, uh, we're in chapter seven now. Seven, yeah. Okay. And now let's read this in context. Chapter seven, verse 10. Uh, the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, ask for a sign from the Lord your God. Let it be deep as the netherworld or high as the sky. But Ahaz answered, I will not ask. I will not tempt the Lord. Now, again, to understand this, we have to just go back a few verses up in Isaiah 7. So I like this Bible study because we get to do things like this. You know, well, there's all, how many Bible studies out there that have really good biblical scholars and they're like five minutes, like, you know, and they're, 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 they're nice. I appreciate them, but you want to get in like, here oh, and sink on, your Give teeth. me some more. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because I'm not a biblical scholar, but at least we can take the time to read it. Right. Context, 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 because there it is it's all going to be here now take a look here isaiah chapter 7 verse 1 okay in the days of ahaz son of jotham son of uzziah the king of judah reason the king of syria and pekah the son of ramalia the king of israel came up to jerusalem to wage war against it but they could not conquer it when the house of david was told when when, when the house of david was told Syria is in league with Ephraim. Now, Ephraim is one of the tribes of the north, but now just as Samaria becomes known, Samaria is a throne city, so it becomes uh, identified with all of it, right? So sure. Ephraim is way up north, kind of like the head ends up descending down upon it, right? And so, so it's known as Ephraim here, right? Syria is in league with Ephraim. His heart and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. The Lord said to Isaiah, go forth to meet Ahaz, you and your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. Say to them, take heed, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your hearts be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of reason the Syria and the son of Ramalia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of, of Tebniel, Tebbiel, uh, as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is reason. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken into pieces so that it will no longer be a people. Bam! That's your story that you have to know that inserts into Second Kings. So we have both in Second Kings, we have the history, but it's, it's oftentimes the, the, the shell or the, the shell, the, the, um, the most critical, like, what do I want to say? The skeleton, right? Yeah. But Isaiah puts a little historical meat on the bones that you don't get in Second Kings. And it's not just that um, it's not just that, uh, that Syria and the North are in cahoots and are going to try to attack and that, um, and that, uh, and that Ahaz makes, uh, an agreement with the Assyrians. It's not just that it's that that happens while they're attacking or they're marching down. And Isaiah tells us Ahaz goes, holy shnikes. Yeah. We're going to die. And yeah. now God sends his prophet to Ahaz and says, don't break communion with me. Sure. Don't make a covenant with the pagan people. I will protect you if you have faith. Okay. And now Isaiah says, ask for a sign. 
Look, ask for any sign. You tell me right now, make it thunder in the sky. God's going to make it thunder, right? Don't, 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 don't do this. You can have any sign you want. And Ahaz says, no, why? Because he doesn't have faith in God. He's, he, and, and how often is that true? God is so, is like giving us signs. He's present all over, right? And we're like, try to, don't, yeah. please don't. Please don't about? step into my life because it's so yeah. inconvenient, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> don't, please. It's so much more convenient if you stay away, right? I can just live my life the way I want. I can have communion with the pagan, you know, godless people of, uh, of Assyria. And, and, and they're going to, and I can give away all this gold that's in my house. I'm going to be friends with the big king up there, the Assyrians. And they're going to protect me, right? So there's the problem. That's what's going on in Ahaz's life. He has no faith right? So he says, show me a sign, put me to the test. And, and, and he says, no, I'm not going to even, I don't, I'm not doing that because I've made my decision to break communion with God. And so what then Isaiah point. says to the house of David, is it not enough that you weary the people, right? Is not enough that you weary God. Therefore the Lord is going to give a sign to you, Ahaz, and a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And God is going to be among his people, whether you want him to be or not. Mm. Yeah. Now, who is, who is Emmanuel? Right? Yeah. Now, this is a super important question. I'm going to push a little bit, guys. Don't, don't turn off your computer. Because you think Father Hezekiah is a heretic and doesn't believe in the incarnation or doesn't believe in prophetic messages. Obviously, Isaiah is prophesying the coming of Jesus. Yes, the one born of the Virgin Mary. So I put it out there. But remember, the prophet is also speaking to people that he's around, right? So who is this guy that's going to be born? And who's the virgin that's going to conceive? This is a good question. And biblical scholars debate this point all the time. But I will just say this, that it is possible for a prophet to be speaking about a situation in which he's living, but also at the same time, be telling about the future. And this is a great case of it, right? The word here for young woman or virgin as it's as it's translated you'll notice in the in the new american bible in your in your lectionary therefore the lord himself will give you a sign a virgin shall conceive and bear a son but in my rsv version it's going to say in verse 14 therefore the lord himself will give you a sign behold a young woman shall conceive and bear a son why because the translators of rsv are heretics and they don't believe in the virgin birth no not at all the word in Hebrew, Alma, can actually be translated as both ways. Well, I mean, translating the English is both ways, but back into the Hebrew, a young, it's, it's a young woman, right? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a young woman, right? One, yeah. one prior to, being, to, be, to, getting, right, to getting married and having babies, right? right. And so I'm going to go back just as an example, okay, um, to Genesis chapter 24, verse 15. Genesis. 24 verse 15 which is the verse which picks up right after our reading right the last verse we had therefore the lord himself will give you this sign the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall name his man name emmanuel verse 15 he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good for before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good that's while he's still young the land before those two kings you are, you are in dread, will be deserted. So it appears as though this is going to happen in the time when Assyria comes down and conquers the north, right? And conquers right. Syria and the north. So this prophecy is given to us in a, with a historical timestamp. Before sure. that happens, God's going to come to be among his people. Yeah? And what's going to happen? Well, Hezekiah is going to be born. So I'm just saying that, yes, Hezekiah is kind of like Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's, that, he's, that, like he's that great. Uh, but, um, uh, of course, this all is a prophecy of the coming of Yahweh saves, right? Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, same name. Jo the coming of Jesus in the flesh, born of the Virgin Mary. Isaiah certainly is prophesying that because, as we all know, this is why we do these studies. I constantly talk about Babylonian exile because all that's going to happen all this prophecy is given. Yes, it's historically rooted, but 
at the end of the day, the prophets that are prophesying about what's going on around them, they speak in a way that isn't fulfilled, right? Hezekiah is great, but he's not that great, right? (laughs) He's not. I mean, he's, he's, you know, so I'm sorry if my, he's going to strike me down. King Hezekiah, (laughs) pray for me. He's great. Josiah is great. In fact, the prophets later called him without sin, okay? How great they were. But ultimately, the prophet Isaiah speaks in a way that is beyond them. And, and, and this is ultimately true because, yes, Assyria is going to come down. Assyria is going to march on the north. He's going to conquer the north. The Assyrians are going to be conquered. And the Babylonians are going to come down. They're going to burn Jerusalem. And all hell is going to break loose. And ultimately, it's that problem that prophecies like this drive the expectation of the people because they know there's no possible way that Isaiah was talking about Hezekiah and Josiah at the end of the day, right? Yeah. God was talking about something greater and was, it's coming and they're waiting for the Messiah to come, which is why Matthew puts this at the head of his gospel. I'm not going to say much more about that. I know we have to get to the gospel, but think about it. Think about how powerful this prophet was in the mind of God's people such that Matthew quoted it to say it's happened if they weren't expecting i if if the the bible the the ancient people the people the time of christ thought that isaiah 7 was fulfilled in hezekiah and josiah then this wouldn't have meant anything matthew wouldn't have used it but they didn't they expected its fulfillment and therefore he quotes it wow can i get an amen church amen yeah okay beautifully annie let's just let's just finish up here with a quotation from Eusebius, who says, House of David, from this time on, when you encounter your enemies, call upon the one who is named Emmanuel. The meaning of that, the title, which is God with us, reveals the power of the word. Believe this sign. Be courageous and do not call upon the gods of Damascus. You see how Eusebius knows what's going on. He knows that it's that Isaiah is being rejected by Ahaz because ultimately Ahaz is sacrificing to other gods. Okay. Do not call upon the gods of Damascus. Do not enlist those who have no assistance to, to offer. Rather call upon Emmanuel, the God who will be with people at the appropriate time. Take heart with confidence, trusting in the power of the title. Okay. And I, I just want to bridge with that because when we go to the New Testament reading and say, my guys are calling upon the name of the Lord in times of trouble, in times of difficulty, to act in our lives. And how often do we struggle struggle with this? I'll tell you as a priest, and I, and I okay, hobby horse, I know, but I'm going to do it. As a priest, I get calls. Uh, well, actually, I don't get calls. People like not be at church one Sunday or whatever, and I, I won't realize that they weren't at church because maybe they're not consistent churchgoers. <laughs> or in many of your parishes, the church is just too big. So whether Fran came to church that Sunday or not, the priest doesn't know. Fran goes into the hospital from a heart attack or cancer. Six months later, Fran shows up. Father, you never called me. You didn't come visit me in the hospital. Fran, did you call the priest? No. Did you call the doctor when you started not feeling well? Yeah. My brothers and sisters, there are prayers for the sick, which are meant to be prayed upon the people. There is such a thing as the anointing of the sick, which is reserved for those that are sick. And all of us are sick. So go to the priest to find salvation and ultimately healing in your life. And if God chooses to heal you in the body, wonderful. But of course, the more powerful sign is the healing of your soul. Never go into surgery without going to your priest first. You start to feel sick, go to your priest and ask for an anointing that the will of God may be revealed in your life. Yes. And, and then with confidence, regardless of whether you die or whatever, the sickness gets worse or gets worse, you go into that situation having been healed in your soul. Call the priest, put your trust in the Lord. 
Because I'll tell you right now, I don't care if the surgeon's successful or not, you're gonna die. And the most important thing isn't whether the surgeon was successful or not. The person questions whether the, the, the priest was successful or not. That's my hobby horse. Call upon the name of the Lord. He's coming. Yeah. Well, great transition to our responsorial psalm response this weekend. Let the Lord enter. He is the king of glory, after all. Yeah, okay, listen. I added the after all part, but he is the king. <laughs> exactly. He's listen, the king of glory. One whose all. hands are who, who can who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? One whose hands are sinless, whose heart is clean, who desires not what is vain. There you go. I'm just gonna right there. Christmas is coming. Who who will who will withstand this day? Who will receive the Lord? Who who will the Lord be born into his life? Who will truly be able to celebrate Christmas? Who will ascend to the mountain of God? Those who have gone to holy confession. <laughs> ah, go to confession before Christmas. <laughs> Seriously about this. Go to confession before Christmas. I was so blessed. My brother came to visit recently. I had a chance. I don't because I don't have a lot of opportunities to go to confession. As a priest, as I like to, to go to confession within my within our Melkite tradition, the Byzantine tradition, and not a lot of opportunities. But my brother said, I got to go to confession. Yeah. And that was a beautiful gift that I was able to receive from my brother, who's also a priest, Father Sebastian. You guys have opportunities to be healed, to be cleansed. Yeah. To call upon the name of the Lord, to ask him to show you a sign in your life. You want to see a sign? The virgin is going to have a baby and it's going to be God living among <laughs> us. He's going to turn bread into the Eucharist, into the body and blood of, 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 of the Savior. You want a sign? Babies are going to be saved in the baptismal waters. You're going to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. Your sins are going to be forgiven. Yeah? Do you want signs? The church is full of signs. If only we would accept them. But no, unfortunately, most of our life, we live like Ahaz and say, please, I don't want to see the sign. Okay? Just look right. the other way. Yeah. yeah. But let's, let me be positive for a minute and just encourage you. Go to confession. Get yourself ready. Keep the fast. Get yourself ready for the birth of the Lord. Ask him to show you a sign in your life. You see, open your eyes to see the one who is born for our salvation. Pray that the Lord will open the, the scales of your eyes, your, of your heart, to be able to see him for who he is. And allow him to act in your life according to who he is. Not at a distance, but right here in our heart. Okay, Andy, let's take a look. Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one, we're starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention when, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home, for it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took his wife into his home. Obviously a rather familiar passage, but at the same time, like, we're coming at it with the the benefit of, you know, like the Gospel of Luke too. So this is kind of an interesting way. Like if you set aside the Gospel of Luke, pretend like mm -hmm. you don't know that part of the story, like that story, this is like a really intense way to learn about the conception of Jesus, isn't it? Well, it's kind of, it's kind of uh, a little bit like uh, out of the blue, right? This is the birth, this is the birth of jesus christ how the birth this of jesus christ yeah. first of all first of all that the way it, you gotta always in your mind you constantly be translating for the translator right so he's <laughs> he's using he's he's not very helpful here 
because Jesus Christ, right? Christ is not his last name. You know that, but you right. just have to constantly be Jesus, the King, Jesus, the King, right? Jesus, the anointed one, literally Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus, the King. This is how the birth of Joshua, the King, literally Joshua in the Hebrew, right? God saves us. The King came about when his mother, Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived. Okay. And so we have to just stop and constantly be reminded what's Matthew trying to get across to us. Well, if you open your Bibles, this is again, why the lectionary sometimes can be not so helpful in helicopters into the middle of a text, because this text is you, you say it's a funny way to start the gospel or the account, but it's not if you open up your Bible, right? Because in your Bible, bingo, right before this text is my favorite part of the Bible the genealogy of Jesus. And that genealogy is all about the king, right? It's all about the line, the, the, the line of the family of God. We just did at the Institute, we just did uh, our salvation history series, Swords and Serpents, which went through this whole thing. There's a line of the family of God. Here, Matthew begins with Abraham and works through all of these guys. Well, of course, we could go back before Abraham, go all the way to Adam, and follow the genealogy of Jesus all the way from Adam all the way to Jesus, right? And through all of these guys telling the story of how God had blessed his people and filled them with his life. Generation after generation, the king after king after king, establishing the kingdom of God on earth. And so, in fact, Matthew lays this all out in 14 generations or 14 14 14 because the number of often the hebrew people like to use each letter of the hebrew alphabet has a as a numerological value uh -huh. yeah in the name david dvd um has a, a numerological value of 14 okay uh -huh. and so 14 generations 14 generations 14 generations to say david 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 okay oh, wow. yeah and saying saying now is the fulfillment of Second Samuel 7 that, that, that David's throne would remain forever. And now is revealed to us in this genealogy for the first time. All of these guys from the Babylonian exile on, right? Shealtiel and Zerubbabel are mentioned in after the Babylonian exile in verse, here in verse, four, verse 12, but not as kings. So the only way you really know that this, that this whole list from verse 12 to verse to 16 exists is right here in matthew wow the kingship has all been undercover because they've been under foreign oppression and now it all comes out that god has been faithful this whole time so we you got to read verses 1 through 16 as basically matthew going the king 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 name after name after name after name and then the next guy is joshua the next night is Jesus, right? Now there's something very special about this, unique and special about this anointed king, this Messiah. Who's the first Messiah? Who's the Messiah? Well, all these guys are. These are all the, all the Messiahs, right? And now there's another one. If you read this thing, there's just another one, right? But now there's another one that is going to free us from our sins and so all of this has to go back to what isaiah is talking about in the context of babylonian exile in the context of god's god's people who are about to be conquered or say have been conquered by the by the devil and bound in chains are now going to be freed by this king who comes in this long line who comes to us filled with the holy spirit right and he's going to fill God's people with the gift of God's life again, like Adam before the fall, who had God's life breathed into him. So, you, so I, that's a long-winded way of saying it's actually not that strange of a beginning of the gospel, because this gospel contains the whole story of the Bible in it, the whole story mm -hmm. of salvation history, all the way back to Genesis and the story of Abraham. And so this all, it's, it's the last chapter in a very long book, yeah. not the first chapter in the gospel account right sure. if we read it that way then we read it properly okay that's pretty cool okay well obviously this coming from the perspective of of joseph here this account of well the beginning of the nativity story anyway so could you just talk about the person of joseph 
since we've got the time here? Yeah, sure. sure. And, 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 you know, I, we're not going to do a full-blown exegesis of this whole text because not only would it take us a long time, but also your priest is going to be preaching his gospel on this text this Sunday. And I kind of want to get out of his way and let him do that. But there are, these are the things that we do in this gospel reflection. We get those pieces he's probably not going to have a chance to get into. And one of those is, yeah, the role of Joseph here. We just had a talk at the ICC last year, I believe it was, by Dr. John Cutterback on the person of Joseph. Very beautiful. So I'd encourage you to go listen to that talk. Definitely. But notice, let, let Matthew tell us what he wants to tell us about Joseph in verse 20. Well, actually, we could go back to verse 15, verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So who is Joseph? Right? Well, if you didn't catch it there because you don't pay attention to the genealogy, you'd still catch it up in verse 20. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said in a dream to him, Joey. No, he didn't say Joey. He says, Joseph, son of David, right? Matthew is stressing for you the importance of Joseph's role in this whole project. And that is that Joseph is the king. Joseph, humble Joseph, who is, uh, 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 well, called carpenter, more likely he was a stonemason, he was a craftsman, was the rightful heir to the dis- the throne of David, right? And this is, I, I've made this point before in my, my salvation history studies that Joseph, he, we always have him as this kind of this pious, you know, quiet guy, he never says anything really. I mean, he disappears. And so we kind of tend, I think we tend to make up a, like make up in our, in our imagination about St. Joseph and he becomes something of lore he doesn't need to become something of lore. He needs to become somebody of the gospel. Because the gospel tells us a ton about him. And what do we know about him? He's the king. He's the king. And why is he, why is he keeping his, why is he not jumping up and being like, I'm the rightful heir to the throne of David? Because if he does this, Herod will kill him because Herod believes he's the king. Well, he doesn't believe he's the king. He knows he's a liar, but he's trying to convince everybody he's the king, right? If he stands up, just like all of these guys in, since, since the Babylonian exile, they all keep their head down because they know that God is going to work through them because they know that through them, Isaiah is going to be fulfilled. They know it, that all of the prophecies of the Old Testament will be fulfilled through them if they just shut their mouth hmm. and keep their head down and don't get killed. They can keep the line of David alive until God is going to act and bring about the prophecy of Isaiah. So that's what Joseph does, humbly continuing in his life in Nazareth, in Egypt, and so forth. Shh, God is going to act in, through me or through my descendants, right? And of course, it's going to be through Joseph. And that's the big thing about David, about Matthew, saying that, Joseph is the son of David, is that Joseph is the king, the rightful descendant of the throne of David. And it's through him that God is going to bring about Emmanuel. And sure enough, he does because Joseph is faithful, unlike Ahaz. Wow. Right? You gave me chills. Yeah. I never thought about it that way. I didn't mean to give you chills. Sorry about that. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it is beautiful. And Joseph is a beautiful figure and we should uh, for his intercession. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, what I always hear about, and maybe you can talk about this just a little bit before we move on, is the whole fact that this happened, like he was told in a dream that he didn't get visited by the angel in the same way that Mary did, who was very much awake, I believe, when... Um, when the angel came to her. Can you talk about Joseph and like why the angel would choose to come to him in a dream as opposed to like coming to him in per- like while he's awake? Because I often hear the comparison between Joseph and his namesake who also was big with dreams. Yeah, okay, yeah, of course. I mean, I would, I would say, you mean Joseph in the Old Testament, of course, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Son of Jacob, son of Israel, who ends up absolutely definitely 
Um, but I'll, I'll say this, that oftentimes in scripture, the theme of being asleep um, is a time in which God enters in and, 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 and interacts with the person, right? Remember on Mount Tabor, the, the apostles fall asleep yeah. when they see the transfigured Lord. In the book of Genesis, Adam is sleeping when Eve is taken from his side. St. Ephraim says that when Eve was taken from his side, that Adam wasn't so much in, uh, in sleep like we think of sleep, where we're unconscious. Um, and I would say the same thing about Joseph here. Mm. That far from being unconscious and having some kind of wacky thing, Joseph enters into the resting of the Lord, right? The Lord mm. rests on the seventh day in Genesis. And Adam enters into that rest and sees more clearly, St. Ephraim says, more clearly what has taken place than if he had been so-called awake in the body, right? Sure. Um, and which is why when he does wake up, he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He knows what's happened to him, right? Joseph wakes up. He knows what's going on, Yeah. right? The apostles wake up and they're very aware of what's happened, right? So far from being a, uh, or jo well, Joseph in the Old Testament, Far from me going kind of in this unconscious state, Joseph's vision and understanding is heightened by his encounter with the Lord. And so there is, and it's not only then a vision or a dream, it's an encounter, which is, tra which transforms Joseph into the man he is to be, right? And so, whereas prior to that dream, um, there may be, you have this man conflicted after that dream, the conflict is resolved, right? And so it's yeah. an encounter with the Lord in the resting in God. I'm glad I asked that question. Yeah, I don't know if I answered your question or not, but. No, I think that's beautiful. So, yeah. um, okay, before we, you know, move on to the epistle here, I'm just wondering, I mean, so there's obvious setup for mm -hmm. the nativity here. I mean, we're ending just before they head to Bethlehem and and Jesus is born. But, you know, you've you've spent all of Advent talking about the the real meaning of Christmas and the real point of Advent in preparing and, and looking at this liturgically speaking. So is there any way to to look at this in a, a deeper way than than simply like, oh, OK, here's the first half of the story. We'll get the second mm. half on the day that it's actually celebrated. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm glad you asked that question, Annie. But I I want to, in some sense, punt it. Sure. I'll, I'm going to answer it a little bit, but I'm going to punt it to the epistle because the epistle does exactly this for us. That is, it it doesn't it doesn't simply talk about what happened, but what is happening. Yeah. Not only to Jesus, the Virgin Mary, and Joseph, but to you and I, because I can very much say, you know, Annie. The Christian, the Christ, right? The anointed yeah. one of God. And so you are part of this story whose sins are forgiven you, who has been saved by the presence of Christ. And that reality is made present today, right? Or we say is coming and is already here. Okay. Um, and so you're part of this genealogy. You are incorporated into Christ. You have been right. baptized into him. These are your forefathers. This reality that has happened now in the life of the Virgin Mary and of Joseph, you're part of that reality. The Virgin Mary gave birth to the Christ child into whom you have been baptized. She's your mother, right? Yeah. These are your forefathers. This is the story of God's working in your life to bring you to who you are. And this is what St. Paul gets so clearly in his epistle, which we can take a look at now. All right, let's do it. Romans chapter one, I do believe. Yes, that's in Romans. the New Testament. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Romans chapter one. Verses one through seven. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised previously through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel about his son descended from David according to the flesh, but established as son of God in power 
according to the spirit of holiness through resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him, we have received the grace of apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, among whom are you also who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all the beloved of God in Rome called to be holy. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is, okay? St. Paul is now going to apply, apply what has taken place historically to you, right? It's not only Jesus is the Holy One of God. It is not only that Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. Oh, this is something for them, but not for me. You are called to this life. So we'll conclude today with a quotation from St. Cyril of Alexandria. As Christ was predestined to be the Son of God in power, so we too have been predestined to be sons of God. He says, not however in power, not by the power, of, uh, not, not within ourselves, but by grace, by the gift of God. You are incorporated into Christ. Yes? This is the great uh, 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 mystery of the incarnation. God is, as St. Athanasius says, God became man that you might become God, that there might be a communion again, that the two might become one. That communion begins in the incarnation of Christ, but now it extends to all of us who are Christians, who are anointed and made is just and, and so just as the Father has sent the Son, so St. Paul says, I am an apostle. I have been sent. So then this is this is where I want to I want to just finish off now. That, that, that Pentecost and the incarnation is in the same reality, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Right? Just as the Father has sent the Son, so he now sends you. Just as God has become incarnate in our life, so we are to become incarnate in the lives of those God sends us to being the holy ones of God. You are the presence of Jesus Christ in the life of your family, in the life of your workplace, in all of your relationships. You are the presence of Jesus Christ. He has not left us and abandoned us. He says, I will remain with you always. And how? In you, in me, in his church, because we are the incarnation of God's love. He's come to share his life with us. Yes? And brothers and sisters, this Christmas, this nativity is an opportunity to renew this reality that I am the tabernacle of God. And that I am called now to this apostleship in Christ in every aspect of my life to be the presence of Christ in our society, in our homes, in our workplaces, so forth, that we might become, as Jesus is, a light to the Gentiles, a revelation to the Gentiles, the presence of God's love here in our hearts. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.